Hey y'all and welcome to Ain't No Such Thing, where we tell original southern horror stories. My name is Amanda, and boy have I got a good one for you. A Winter of Bromeliads 1. There's a lot that comes with uprooting your life and heading off to live in another state. You have no friends, no job, and no expectations. In my case, that's why it was so damned appealing. A week after my divorce was finalized, I signed the paperwork for a small house south of St. Augustine, sight unseen. The pictures were of a simple home, less than a thousand square feet, with narrow windows and freshly painted but seriously nicked wooden beams. It was built in the late 1800s, updated in the 80s, but the home inspector gave it a thumbs up for maintenance and an even higher praise for location. Admittedly, location was the big selling point for me. Well, that and the price. Not too far from the city, but far enough to feel like you'd escaped the real world. My property line runs out to the east, right up to the beach. My realtor warned me that it's not the sandy beach of tourist photos, but instead the ragged rock beach of undeveloped oceanfront. That's fine by me. The road leading back to my personal stretch of the forest is a mixture of dirt and sand. It coats my car, both exterior and interior, as I make the turn into what passes for my driveway. I've kept my windows rolled down since we crossed the state line. Maddie, my curly-furred poodle mix, has had her head out the window the whole time, her tail wagging back and forth. She's excited for her new life, too, and obviously one of the first parts of it is going to be a bath. I hop out of my car and Maddie is on my heels, bouncing and hopping like she's got some rabbit mixed into her DNA. I very nearly trip over her as I'm pulling the key to our new home out from my pocket. She barks at my toes and then darts off toward the front door in an effort to beat me to it. On the outside, the house looks just like its pictures. It's boxy, little one-story with a chimney, but those tall, narrow windows give it character. I'll have to paint the front door to a color that really pops. Maybe an ocean blue? And then it'll really feel like it's mine. It's cradled in the arms of the tall cypress trees and wide, thick oaks. For a moment, I lost sense of time and place. They're dusted in white like the northern winter snows. I reach up to touch a branch and have to giggle. <laughs> Rather than the ice cold, my fingers are met by the silky strands of Spanish moss. Maddie barks again, hopping in place, all four feet leaving the ground at the same time in some form of happy dog levitation. I can't help but smile. It's just me and my girl from here on out. Just a second, I tell her. I want this moment to last a bit longer. My new beginning. It's early December, but the sun is warm on my skin. There won't be any more days of praying the car starts in the cold, scattering salt across half-frozen driveways, or scraping ice from windshields with numb fingers. There'll be no more listening to my mother-in-law complain that she doesn't like the way I make potato salad, while my husband weakly shrugs and reminds me that she's a wonderful cook. All that bullshit is in the past. I shove a key that had to have been crafted when the house was first built into the lock and turn. The click is loud and satisfying. Welcome home, Maddie, I say, pushing the door inward. The house is everything my ex-husband hated. The rooms are small and separate. The appliances dated. Cozy was the most flattering word for it. I freaking love it. 
Maddie's nails clack across the wooden floor as she dances from one room to the next. The living room fireplace earns a bark, as does the only bathroom in the house. The kitchen counter earns a ferocious flurry of barks and tail wagging in circles like a propeller. On the countertop, there's a weighty metal basket filled to the brim with oranges and an envelope with my name on it. Sorry, girl, I say, using a nail to open the letter. Not for you. Maddie snorts and heads out of the room, her head high but her tail no longer wagging. Not here for ten minutes and she's already mad at me. I take out the paper inside. It's two sheets, front and back, of a handwritten note, and I can't read more than a couple words of it. The entire thing is written in Spanish, and unfortunately, I passed high school Spanish by the grace of a teacher that didn't want to see me back the following year. I did better with French, as useful as that's been. There are a dozen or so signatures at the bottom. My new neighbors, I presume. My realtor said the area was settled by the Spanish around the same time as St. Augustine, 15-something or other. But apparently, even the families of early settlers fall prey to the power of tax collectors. Property taxes are a bitch. I stick the note in the drawer. I'll thank them for the fruit basket and the welcoming later. I'm fairly sure I can still muster up that much Spanish. Two. I spend the next few days making the house my own, though there are still a few boxes left to unpack. Those can wait, though. It's December. I'm in Florida, and I'm near a beach. Grabbing Maddie's leash, we step out into the warmth of the day. It's not nearly as humid as some of the folks up north said it would be, but the heat reminds me of early summer. I can definitely get used to this. There's a path through the thick trees beyond my weed-filled lawn that we start down. Maddie, normally quite behaved on the leash, goes crazy with excitement. She tugs and strains in an effort to absorb as many smells as she can. Hell, even my nose fills with many new scents. There are small flowers adorning spiky-leafed plants, and the smell of dirt, moss, and underneath all, the briny aroma of a not-too-distant beach. Around me, the forest has an eerie quality. Not eerie as in creepy, but it looks like the trees are covered in snow. It's just a heavy layer of Spanish moss. While I wouldn't say that's an unpleasant sight, it is unsettling. Maybe it's the disconnect from what my brain expects everything to look like in the middle of winter. But whatever it is sucks the summer heat right from the air. Maddie barks, drawing my attention away from the trees and back to the well-worn path. It splits off in several directions like crossroads of sorts in this tiny forest. I wonder if they lead to other houses. I can't really tell through the thick foliage. Besides, I have no real idea how close my neighbor's houses are to mine. With a shrug, I follow Maddie's lead toward the faint sound of water beating against the rocks. The realtor hadn't been lying when he said the beach was undeveloped, but it wasn't as bad as I expected. Instead of the large boulders and jagged outcrops, the shore is littered with smooth, low rocks. Maddie takes a few steps out onto the sand but hops back just as quickly. This is not the white sand of brochures, the kind that gets trucked out to the tourist beaches. It's the hard and jagged kind made up of partially crushed shells. I check Maddie's paws. She's free of cuts but limps slightly. She offers a sad whimper and head tilt, one that I recognize. If you give me a treat, I'll feel better. I reach out and rub her head. When we get back, I reply, and she sighs, but at least she starts walking normally again. I drop her lead and walk out onto the beach. 
I can feel the sharp edges of shells beneath my sandals, but the soles are doing their job. I walk parallel to the water for a bit. This is our routine now. My life is a literal walk on the beach. Maddie tags along at the forest's edge. After a dozen or so yards, I pause. There's a large, flat rock by the water. On top of it is a small pile of oranges. It's here every day. Same stack, like a mini pyramid on the same rock. You've got to figure that someone is coming out here, plopping fresh oranges on the pile. But I've never seen anyone. Maddie's not the brightest dog on the planet, but if there were people around, her tail would be spinning like a propeller. I look over to her to find that it's firmly planted between her back legs. It's tucked a bit nervously, but her head tilt is more curiosity than fear. Up until a few weeks ago, she'd never seen the ocean. I grab an orange from the pile. Maddie's gaze is locked in on it. For such a little dog, she thinks she's quite the hunter. I toss it up and down like a ball. Her head follows it, nodding in an unsubtle affirmation. I toss it to her. She doesn't lunge for it like I'd expected, but instead watches it soar over the sharp shells and land a few feet away from her. Momentum keeps it rolling out of my sight line as she watches. It lands under some brush. Maddie looks at me and wags her tucked tail. You want to go for a swim? I ask, peeling an orange for myself. The shells in the water are ground more finely and easier to walk through. Maddie lays down in reply and whimpers. That's a firm no. When I dip my own feet in the water, I get her hesitance. That water is cold. Still, I'm a northern girl at heart and pretty damn familiar with frigid temperatures. The novelty of playing in the water in the middle of December trumps the cold, and I splash around for a bit while Maddie watches. I don't last too long. Nausea follows a sharp pain in my stomach and ends my giddy mood. Cramps follow soon after. Where the hell did this come from? I whistle for Maddie. My beach day was definitely over. I'll head back home, take some meds, and hopefully not have to get too close and personal with the toilet. Maddie whines, dancing in place along the forest's edge. I'm not sure which one of us is more excited to head back home. I take a few steps and stop. The oranges. The rock pile was covered in black goo, an oozing rotten pulp. My stomach cramps urgently but I can't pull my gaze from that stupid rock. I blink furiously, making sure it's not a trick of the fading light. How had it gotten so late, anyway? And is that fleshy black rot what's sitting in my stomach? I retch and heave, but nothing comes out. The pain intensifies, and I want to scream at my legs to start moving. Maddie's ears flatten against her head, and she turns from me, darting off into the woods. My feet get the message. I make it back to the crossroads before the pain takes over and I hit the dirt. Maddie yips and yowls, but I don't really know where she is. Existence is a fetal ball of pain. I think I throw up. I know I black out. The only thought that is separate from the pain is that I am dying. And then someone is scooping me into his arms. He smells like sweat and smoke. And I think he says his name is Pablo. He says some other things, too but I doubt I could make heads or tails of it even if he did speak English. He carries me back to my house. I think he's trying to put me to bed, but I roll out of his arms and crawl to the bathroom. I don't even have the self-respect to be embarrassed as I set up camp on the bathroom floor. 
Pablo, who I've guessed is one of my neighbors, asks a few questions through the door. I can tell by the tilt of his voice that he's concerned. Maybe he wants to call an ambulance? I'm good now. I moan through the door. Bueno, buena, I add. I'm thankful for the help, but he needs to go. Now, I just want to be left alone to die in peace. 3. It's been a few days since I'm up and moving again like a living human being. Maddie's been as hot a mess as I have, whining to go out and then growling at the open door. I pop my head out from time to time, but the light hurts my eyes. It's nearly the shortest day of the year, but it's so damn bright out. The sun reflects off the tangles of Spanish moss that cover the trees and coat my scraggly lawn. I've never been in an actual blizzard, but I think I understand how it can be blinding. Come on, girl, I moan, coaxing Maddie out the door. She cocks her head and slowly edges toward the opening. There's an envelope on the porch, partly tucked under the doormat. My name is written in neat capital letters across the middle. It's the only label, no stamp or return address. So it's a safe bet is from one of my neighbors, probably Pablo. Maddie pauses on the porch, offering a quiet and ridiculous growl before pouncing into a swirl of moss. She nips and bites at the plant before squatting down and relieving herself on it. With a self-satisfied yip, she comes back in while I open the letter. I'm expecting another wall of Spanish, but the words scrawled are simple enough for me to make out. Miron de las Bromelias. And it's followed by a URL. That has me curious enough to pull out my phone and pull up the website. My phone is six payments in on the newest model, but with the reception out here, I may as well have a flip phone. There's a spot in the kitchen where the LTE is passingly functional, so I drag a chair across the floor and wait for the website to load. It's a lot of text, thankfully in English, and looks a little like some kind of wiki on St. Augustine. It starts with the original founding of the city, it's the oldest in the state, and goes through all the hardships the settlers faced upon first landing in the area. It's only slightly more in-depth than the basic tourist guides, so I skim over several paragraphs before landing on the one that piques my interest. The section focuses on the area to the south of St. Augustine, right around where my new house resides. The area, it says, was truly unoccupied when the settlers first arrived. Now, there's lots of areas that were native lands that the settlers described in similar fashion, but they've never actually recovered any early artifacts in the area, so maybe this time it was true. Of course, being the kind of people they were, the settlers parked their boats and moved right in. There are a few paragraphs about the process of building a seaside community before shifting gears again and getting into an orange blight that almost wiped out all the settlers. Oranges were big on ships because of the scurvy, and the Spanish brought plenty to plant in their new lands. Advertisement aside, oranges aren't native to Florida. They just tend to do well in the tropics. Not here, though. That first year, the oranges withered to black husks, turning to sludge before my very eyes, one person wrote, presumably in Spanish. Eventually, it says, they had enough oranges to combat the plague, and there's been no recordings of the blight since. I'm not sure I understand the science behind any of that, but I'm pretty sure I got a first-hand taste of that ancient orange blight. So suffice it to say, I won't be sending any of my relatives citrus for the holidays. Maddie growls and sticks her butt into the air, head low, 
tail tucked. She's staring at the window. Maddie, relax. It's just... I drift off. I don't have a clue what she's growling at. Bird, animal, or random neighbor. I can't see out the window at all. It's covered in spiraling strings of moss. I shove my phone into my pocket and head toward the front door. I turn the knob slowly but swing the door open wildly like I'm going to surprise someone and then, I don't know, hit him with my phone or something. But of course there's no one there. Instead, I'm looking at a shit ton of oranges. It's not a pile like on the beach, but a line circling my whole damn house. What the hell? Maddie, I call firmly, but my dog has tucked herself inside my fireplace. Her white fur is stained black with soot and she's trembling. Stay, I sigh and walk outside. As I thought, the entire house is completely circled by an unbroken ring of oranges. A line of orange leads back away from my house, toward the rocky beach. The trees tremble in the wind, and Spanish moss glistens hypnotically on the branches. God, it's everywhere. I follow the trail back toward the water. There's noise ahead, voices intermingling with the drum of the ocean. I step out of the forest and see Pablo and the other people's backs, trails of oranges heading off in different directions into the woods. Toward their houses, maybe? Are we all in crazy orange lassos? Pablo! I call, keeping my voice firm. Language barrier or no, I deserve an explanation for this madness. I also don't see him as a threat. He carried me home and cleaned me up without proper introduction, after all. Pablo turns, obviously surprised to see me. The others, who I guess are the rest of my neighbors, turn to me as well. But I'm looking past them all. At something... A scarecrow. It faces the ocean, back to me, an overstuffed effigy in a circle of oranges all its own. It is the central point where all the other lines return. It's leaking its stuffing all over the ground. A stuffing not of straw, I see now, but Spanish moss. It oozes from the armholes, the gap between the shirt and pants, and cascades from the neck like hair with no head to rest upon. Pablo starts moving toward me, signaling for the others to stay put, and holding up his hands, waving at me, motioning for me to turn around and go back home. I will not. He presses a finger to his cracked lip, shushing me to silence. The rage I expect to feel doesn't come. I want answers, but all I see on Pablo's face is fear. His dark eyes are wide as he whispers, Miron de las Pomelias. My mind trips over the words. Something in the bromelias. Something in the bromeliads. The Spanish moss. They're using the oranges as a ward against something in the bromeliads. Mira? I whisper as Pablo draws nearer. He runs his tongue over parched lips searching for his own words before whispering in a voice so quiet I can barely hear it at all. Demonio. He's so damn serious and so afraid, but I just want to laugh. It's crazy. It's also a fitting progression of my life. Lost job. Divorced. Bought a cheap house in Cultland. I can't suppress the laughter and it spills out of me in fits. Pablo grabs a hold of my shoulders and gives me a shove, encouraging me to run. The louder I laugh, the more insistent he becomes. 
I shouldn't be here. Spoken language not required to convey that message. I must be freaking out because it makes me want to laugh harder. On the beach, the effigy moves. I don't laugh anymore. The swirl of moss hair twists, thrusting out toward me. It stops mid-air like a head bashing into a wall, and Pablo pushes me hard. My legs understand what he wants before my head does, and I'm running. I don't turn away fast enough to miss the blackening of the oranges in the circle around the effigy, my side first, and then all the way around the circle. One after another, the oranges turn black, slipping toward me, like lights on a runway blinking out one by one. My legs pump harder. Pablo raggedly breathes at my side, but hasn't broken a sweat. He grabs my elbow and tugs, pointing into the woods, not toward my house or whatever was on that beach, to somewhere else. He speaks rapidly, throwing words at me that I don't understand. My head hurts and I want to lie down, but I can see the line of blackened oranges decay to pulpy slime and the air is thick with Spanish moss. It isn't moving or swinging toward me like it was on that thing, but there's so much of it. A blizzard of glistening coils condenses in the air. You want me to go to your house? I ask, finally piecing together a blend of basic Spanish and frantic hand motions. Pablo nods and tugs, but I pull away. My dog! I have to get my dog! He understands enough of what I'm saying to turn his gaze from me to my house. His eyes follow the blackened ooze that rings it. The barrier of orange is melted away, and he lets me go. He doesn't charge in with me, or even wait outside. He just gives me one final nod and disappears into the woods. He's watching the trees. I push toward my house, brushing through Spanish moss as if it were cobwebs. It isn't sticky, never was, but it feels like it's holding on. Maddie! I cry as I burst into the house. She doesn't answer me, not a whimper, whine, bark, or growl. Nothing. I cascade through the house, ignoring boxes I never unpacked, and call her again. Still nothing. The room is full of shadows. Spanish moss covers the windows, blotting out the daylight. This damn dog. Maybe she already ran. God, let her be hightailing it out of these woods. I want that to be true. My eyes turn toward the fireplace, the last spot where she'd cowered. No Maddie. Just Spanish moss shoved down through the chimney in the open flue, spilling over the hearth. It drifts lazily back and forth in a breeze that doesn't exist. Maddie's gone. There's lighter fluid next to my woodpile, so I hose down the fireplace invader and click the lighter at its edge. I'm startled by the ease that it catches. I don't think I expected it to burn at all. I don't even know what it is. There's smoke everywhere, and I'm coughing against the taste of chemicals on my tongue. It's so hard to breathe. I pull open the front door and push against the thick web of moss zigzagging across the doorway. It doesn't give way. I need air. I turn back toward the fireplace, clinging to some ridiculous hope that enough moss has burned away that I can scale up the chimney and escape. There's more of it now, pouring down like water through a rain spout, smothering the final flames under its weight and cascading over the hearth into my living room. Smoke billows toward the ceiling, turning white to gray. The gentle pattering of bromeliads in a breeze comes from behind me as it moves in through the door, meeting itself in my living room. My brain struggles to catch up, to process and put the information in a semblance of order, but it's a fight. There's not much air here, and what little remains is soured with smoke. 
Every breath is a cough and a gasp. I don't know when I fell to my knees. It's warm here in the winter. The moss caresses my flesh. I miss the cold and the snow. I can taste the bromeliads. I miss air. You've been listening to Ain't No Such Thing, A Winter of Bromeliads, written by Erica J. Heflin and Eric Fundersall. Spanish translated by Merce Badia. I would like to give an extra special thank you and shout out to our patrons Ian McDowell and Alexis Earp. Thanks, y'all. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode coming up. It is another Legends episode and we'll be discussing the Pope Lick Monster. It's going to be a lot of fun. So wherever you do get your podcast, you need to subscribe to us so that you get notified when new episodes are available. I hope you all are taking care and staying warm. This is a wild winter. Maybe not as wild as the one in this story. And I'm a little freaked out because of the bromeliad sitting here at my desk. But ah, let's hope they don't get me. Thanks again, y'all, from all of us. And I'm going to be back with another one for you real soon. <laughs>